land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast in this Two Cents episode of the podcast. I'm Pete Wargent, joined by Chris Bates. Batesy, how's your week been? Life's good, Pete. How's uh, how's things on your end? Yeah, pretty good. Like everybody else, uh, just trying to get everything done before Christmas. Kids are starting to count down the days and I've got to think about all the things I'm supposed to be doing, catching up with family, getting presents. Meanwhile, work is uh, continuing. It looks like it's going to go all the way through to Christmas this year with um, the housing market, as you've mentioned on previous episodes. So, uh, yeah, like everybody else, just juggling a few different things, uh, but can't complain. How about yourself? Well, life's good. It's summer, isn't it? Um, just my daughter's learning how to swim, so it's um, it's pretty cool watching her uh, in the pool, actually, at the moment. She's uh, swimming without a floaty, so that's uh, pretty exciting in our household. Um, going to Thailand in a few weeks, but, so um, you know, for, for a month, so that's going to be... Oh, those are precious moments. I remember when my daughter learned to, be, uh, learned to swim uh, when we lived at Sunshine Beach, and we had a pool in the back garden it's very disconcerting as a parent but they absolutely love being able to show you uh swimming across the whole pool it reminds me of those episodes of bluey though when uh, the the dad forgets the towel and the sunblock and everything else it's kind of very true to life for me so <laughs> yeah exciting times yeah it was uh one two three go yesterday ready steady go and um you know just let it go and just fingers crossed she wouldn't sink and she was uh, making it across the pool so uh yeah, very, very happy. But yeah, working flat out till Christmas. We've um, we're absolutely seeing buyers are still there. You know, people are still wanting to transact, but you know, listings are really drying up now. I mean, you know, pretty much nothing's coming on, and 
you know, we're not going to see much. I'll be interested to see if we see much in January. I was talking to a couple of agents in the last, you know, couple of weeks and they're both saying they're going to list things a little bit earlier in January. So that's going to be interesting to see, to watch. Um, but it's likely to Australia Day now, which is like a good seven, eight weeks. That's a lot of new buyers entering the market. And um, I think that last rate, rate, last rate increase you know, probably took a bit of sting out of the upgrader as well because they were like, well, you know, where are rates going to land over the next few years? Maybe we should wait and see, um, which is going to create this real conundrum, this problem that we've seen over the last two years where there's just very little stock, but buyers are still building and uh, their confidence comes back faster than sellers. So, yeah, interesting space over the next two months to see what happens and how much heat the market comes back in um, in February. You're right. It's a bit like um, the old pipeline thing. I think we had 3,000 auctions this week and there's two more uh, big auction weekends to go before the Christmas wind down. But uh, yeah, after that, then there's a big sort of dry spell where not much really happens. And um, yeah, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge between now and February. Um, so yeah, uh, as you said, though, there's a lot of people looking for new listings coming on to the market and there's just not much quality there. So uh, yeah, a bit of a backlog, I guess, building up. So let's... Um, run through these top three news stories of the week. So firstly, rezoning changes in New South Wales, something we touched on last week, but we'll drill into a bit more today. Secondly, the global inflation pulse has certainly started to fade over the past month. Big change, big shift in what markets are pricing for the year ahead. Uh, maybe a bit less so for Australia, but certainly globally. And thirdly, is the housing market limping into Christmas? Yeah, I think it is a little bit for some of those auctions. I, I think that's um, seasonally normal. People get a bit of fatigue. And also uh, with a few thousand auctions in a week, the buyers get a bit more dispersed and you do have that seasonal slowdown in price growth. Um, but in saying that, prices are still up quite significantly in places like Perth and Adelaide and Brisbane. So maybe that's a bit more of a big city story perhaps. So, uh, Chris, let's start with this first um, new story then. So New South Wales rezoning changes. So just recently, just over the past week or two, uh, the state government announced that they're basically going to upzone more or less everything within an 800 metre radius or an 800 metre distance of train stations. And the default will be, I guess, three to six storeys um, in the R3 zoned uh, properties. And then for uh, buildings in the R2 zoning, um, townhouses, small apartment buildings. So this is um, something that people have been pushing for quite hard. A lot of economists have been very vocal on this. And suddenly we've got some movement from the state government. I think it, this is expected to create the potential for 112,000 new dwellings over the next uh, five or six years. I, I guess that would cover not just Greater Sydney, also Hunter Valley, Central Coast, Illawarra. Um, but that's a big chunk of the... Uh, well, nearly 400,000 dwellings that New South Wales wants to see built uh, between now and 2029. So uh, potentially uh, some movement there, which might just remove some of those bottlenecks to new supply. So I think this is a bit of a you know circuit breaker, really. I think this is something that people have wanted for, for many years. The NIMBYs, the you know, anti-development in their backyard have really said, well, you know, heritage overlays or it's going to do shadowing or it's going to affect the streetscape or... How could we possibly, you know, be denser? You know, our streets can't handle more traffic or our sewer systems, et cetera. So there's been lots of reasons why development hasn't gone ahead. And the councils have basically went with the voters and said, well, you know, well, I don't want to upset my residents. I'm just going to 
go anti-development. But I think what the state government's saying, that's not good enough anymore. If you're near transport hubs where there should be, you know, um, less de- demands on, you know, infrastructure, uh, you know, and they can rely on public transport, then we, we're going to have to get denser. You know, our city just, we can't have our cake and eat it. We can't grow our population from five, six, seven, eight million. We can't be building new roads. We can't be, you know, growing as a city unless we get denser. And, I think they're basically putting a big warning sign over anyone who's living within 800 metres. That's a long distance um, away from a train station that, you know, the the codings, the planning system is going to change and that could affect your livability of your house. Now, I do think that the local councils are going to really fight back and residents are going to fight back. But I do see this tug of war is really, a, I guess, a, a door opening to what the future is going to look like. You know, we're going to see more density, particularly around our transport hubs. Um, and I think, you know, we, we had interviewed um, Melissa Neighbour. It's a pretty interesting surname. Um, she's the head of Sydney Yimby, or she's the spokesperson. I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago on the other podcast. Um, and we were talking about this and she was basically saying, you know, upzone everything within, um, you know, walking distance from the trains. And this is what they've come out and done. It's, it's pretty crazy that it's such a big change. Um, now, whether this means more apartments or more density in the short term, I don't know. I think when you look at the cost to build an apartment, you've got taxes, you've got the minimum profit margin they have to make, you know, the, the banks giving finance is really hard people actually having the money to afford them and, um, you know, the borrowing capacities. I don't think this zoning is going to lead to, you know, 130,000 more apartments on the market in a few years' time. It's just not going to happen like that. But over the next 10, 20 years, I think it's, hey, we're going to be getting more denser in our, you know, inner city locations, not just on our greenfield estates and, you know, in high-density postcodes. It's a good point. So councils across uh, Greater Sydney can no longer just say, well, uh, I guess as things were, if you've got a six-storey apartment block nearby, you you could just say, well, I I object to this based on the height. Uh, But now councils are going to have to disregard homeowners' complaints uh, for uh, sort of low-rise apartments. So if they're within that sort of 1K or so within a, a train station. But I think, as you said, though, if you think back to the previous cycle, uh, but nobody was talking about a shortage of potential development sites. If you think about, um, they only had to go around somewhere like uh, Parramatta or Wentworth Point or Blacktown or, or look, any number of places across Greater Sydney. And there was units going up all over the place. Sutherland Shire is almost unrecognisable in the space of one cycle. So, yes, I think, um, I guess all things being equal or other things being equal, it, it removes some of the uh, sort of roadblocks to new supply. But uh, I think, as you said, though, people only really build when it's profitable to do so, generally, and um, people only buy when they um, have the capability to do so, and also if they think uh, potentially that prices are rising because people don't like to buy off the plan when there's a a flat market or a downturn so much. So there's always a cyclical element to this too. Um, And I think um, this has sort of led on to quite a bit of debate in in recent times. I guess the... Uh, the test tube city is Auckland. So a bit since 2016, there's been a lot of talk about um, whether the sort of large scale up zoning policies in Auckland would create more affordable housing. And I guess this is where the cycle uh, element comes into it, because for a period of time there, rents in Auckland in particular weren't increasing as quickly as in some other cities like Wellington and some of the others. But just in recent times, there's 
international students have come back and immigration's picked up suddenly. Uh, NZ Herald reports in Auckland, we're seeing rents absolutely hockey stick upwards, up 8.5% between November 22 and October this year. And um, it's leading to actually young people now considering whether Auckland is the best place for them because rents are skyrocketing again. We had record net migration in New Zealand. So it kind of undermines the point a little bit. Usually with these debates in economics, you find that the truth lies between the two extremes. I think there's there's one side saying uh, zoning fixes everything. And then you've got other side, people say, well, yeah, but zoning in the long run probably doesn't make as much difference as you think. And I guess usually it's somewhere in between the two. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do think it's a, it's a thing we have to do. I think it's, you know, cities going to have to get dense. So we can't, you know, the, what got us here is not going to get us there, I guess, over the next 20, 30 years. But um, I think it's going to be a watch this space and the fight between, it's one thing to say this and, you know, to put it out there, but actually to actually get apartments built is another thing. And I think we're going to have to watch the story. I think we the uh, higher end part of the market, the downsizer part of the market, well, I think that's doing really well. You know, developers can make profits there, but whether they can make money building the cheaper end, you know, things that we actually need for key worker housing, the more affordable part of the market, um, you know, I don't know if that's actually possible for these developers right now unless borrowing capacity goes back up, unless interest rates come down, unless building prices really stabilise, unless bank finance really um, relaxes, um, unless there's a huge demand for first-home buyers back in the market as well. So, I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, this desire to build 1.2 million homes over the next five years is just highly ambitious. And, you know, we'd be lucky to build probably 800,000, I reckon. And so I think that's this is something to watch. Um, and I think it's going to really lead to just further exasperating this rental uh, crisis and this affordability crisis as people are competing over very few properties available. Well, yeah, there's definitely some challenges there. I think 1.2 million dwellings over five years. We've never done that before. And you would think if there's a massive push to try and hit some kind of arbitrary target like that, that would lead to uh, potential shortcuts and defects. Uh, certainly we saw that in the previous cycle. Interesting, we often think of Sydney and Melbourne as being somewhat dense uh, cities because they're denser than other parts of Australia. But 75% of resi land around train stations is only zoned for single-dwelling detached housing in Sydney. So in many cases, an entry-level dwelling costs $2 million. Yeah, it's an interesting point, though. If you rezone some of those areas, does the underlying land become more valuable uh, to owners? I guess there's um, sometimes some unintended consequences as well. Anyway, I think generally it seems to be a positive move because um, at the moment we're certainly not keeping pace. I think Oxford Economics said we'd only see 150,000 dwelling commen commencements over this financial year. And that's at a time when population growth at various points over the past year has been running at 2,000 per day. So, I mean, it's uh, absolutely massive numbers on the population growth side, and we've got a lot of building to, to do to keep up with that, I suppose. So, yeah, it's a bit of a watch this space, and I guess um, we'll see how it plays out. So, Chris, second story. Yeah, and I think uh, with, with the final thing on that is that, you know, if we can encourage more developments for downsizers, that's not a bad thing, you know, because downsizers will leave houses. If that house, uh, because at the moment they stay in the house because they can't find, you know, a bigger apartment that the grandkids can come to that's, you know, all the modern cons that's still a bit bigger, that's, you know, highly, you know, it's a bit more luxurious than, you know, the high density. So if we can build a lot more of those, that's great because it gets people out of houses. But, 
if we then rezone the house to say actually we could a developer could knock that down and build four you know a family suitable apartments then you know that's actually really creating a bit of a multiplier effect and so I think the interesting thing with what the Sydney Yimbies and, you know, anyone pro-development is fighting for um, is, you know, more housing affordability, right? So they actually want prices to come down. And when you rezone, you actually don't really want to be the one buying in these pockets, right? So these are great for the overall macro story about supporting housing affordability and creating less rental crisis and, you know, key worker housing. But that doesn't mean that you want to be buying what they're building in these locations. Um, and this is a bit of the irony of the Sydney Yimby battle is they're fighting for it because they're pro-development. But should they actually then, the people who want to enter the market, be buying in these postcodes and these pockets? Probably not because they're going to be in areas that are going to have uh, more supply and, you know, more high density. And these are the type of investments that don't go up as much than something that doesn't tick that box. So, um, yeah, I think this is just something to to watch. And I do think it's uh, unfortunately the first home buyers who are really wanting this to happen, you know, because they're thinking oh, this is my way to get into the market. Well, yeah, it is, but you're probably not going to get the best property at the end of it um, unless you, you know, go and buy something else. Be a bit careful when you're buying off the plan, as we always say, I guess, on these podcasts. Um, lots of uh, potential unknowns, I suppose, if you buy something that isn't built yet. So, Chris, second story of the week, global inflation pulse starting to fade. So some better news on inflation. We actually got this last week. Um, so the there's a few different gauges in Australia. The ABS has now got a monthly inflation gauge. So that fell to 4.9% in October, much better than was expected by the market and um, CBA economist Stephen Wu says we should comfortably see that beginning with a three by the end of 2023, I guess partly due to the base effect. And um, that's actually ahead of the Reserve Bank forecast. And actually this week, the Melbourne Institute put out its own inflation gauge, which uh, fell to 4.4% over the year. And actually the core inflation, what they call the trimmed mean number without getting too technical, uh, fell to 3.8. So that's uh, three number already being realised on their gauge. Uh, I've been looking ahead. Um, the NRMA sees unleaded prices falling in Sydney down to the, I guess, the low to low 170s over the next couple of weeks. And I guess the, we haven't yet seen the impact of lower oil prices. So there's a bit more good news to come there. I think just looking globally, Chris, I, I saw in the Eurozone, inflation is down to 2.4%. It's basically vanished over the past few months. Um, in the US, market pricing has gone bananas over the the past month, we're now seeing uh, markets pricing in 120 basis points of cuts for the US next year, which um, certainly points to a very sharp slowdown in the economy and inflation. And um, yeah, look, um, who knows? Uh, it seems Australia is a bit further behind on that journey. But yeah, just looking around the world, Canada, unemployment rate is now the highest in 22 months. And uh, lots of data in Australia just pointing to a slowdown in the economy, things like activity gauges, ANZ's job advertisements have fallen 8% in three months. So it looks like those rate hikes are starting to work. And um, as you said, maybe a slightly different story by the time February next year rolls around. Yeah, I mean, I think you go back over the last couple of years and everyone was saying the Australian you know, RBA rate's got to go like it is in the UK. It's got to go in the US. It's got to go into the fives. And we can't be, you know, much lower than, you know, where they are around the world. Um, obviously, our mortgage stress and the way that our home loans are structured isn't on 30-year loans and, um, you know, a lot of we're on variable. So, we're able to get that 
impact a lot faster um, and we haven't had to go as high as they have. But I wonder if they start to really cut and we don't cut because we're a little bit on a lag in terms of our numbers, um, what does that mean for our Australian dollar? What We become a bit more you know, attractive, right, because we've got higher interest rates and um, do we then have to cut really hard because – we, you know, have issues that are, that are caused. So what, what would be your take there, Pete? You know, if, if we are seeing some, our inflation's a little bit slower dropping than it is around the world, but our rates stay a little bit higher, but everyone else is cutting, you know, is that going to put a bit of pressure on us to, to cut when they're cutting? Well, the Aussie dollar actually already has risen quite significantly. Mm-hmm. It's up three and a half cents, I guess, from the lows in, in very short space of time, just a few weeks. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's, here's the question, right? This is the... Uh, the $64 million question is that if, if year-on-year inflation is still above target, but we're seeing the monthly inflation figures basically flat or, or even slightly negative in some cases, does the RBA uh, sort of anticipate the slowdown? Uh, I have a feeling that having overshot the target quite significantly, there will be a reluctance to cut unless we have to. Uh, I think we're already seeing that. If you look at for example, um, the APRA's settings, they've still got three percentage points lending assessment buffer in place. It doesn't really make sense. Nobody's expecting there to be a massive round or salvo of rate hikes from here, but they're just very keen to make sure the inflation expectations are bashed down all the way back to that 2.5% level. So I have a feeling um, there'll be sort of a long period where interest rates are on hold. I don't think they'll be in a rush uh, to cut anytime soon, unless something really breaks. I guess that's the caveat. You know, if the ship really hits the fan, then obviously things could change. But my gut feel is they'll be quite keen to uh, see everything get back down and back in order before uh, monetary easing comes back onto the table. Yeah, and I think overall it's just, you know, good news that maybe that there's this soft landing um, idea can actually happen, right? We, we Inflation comes under control. None of the markets are crashing around the world. Um, you know, we're not having a ridiculously deep recession. Um, and then the governments can start to stimulate demand again through rate cuts and um, and potentially, you know, kind of get through this Goldilocks sort of outcome that they're hoping. And so I think around the world that's what uh, is looking likely happening. But I guess we could still see, I don't know, an energy crisis. This is something that I just spoke to Louis Christopher about on an episode. Um, and, you know, that could lead to, you know, through the war and issues around the world is, um, and that could lead to inflation again. And so I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but I do think that the inflation getting the genie back in the bottle is looking likely and in Australia as well. And if that's the case, you know, does this slowdown in house prices, which leads to our third story, actually allow the government to do some significant cuts? Because if the housing market was still steaming on at the growth rates that we were seeing earlier in 2023, it'd be really hard for them to cut because they would say, well, we're just going to create more asset price inflation, which would create more wealth effects. People would feel more wealthier. Then they would start spending. And it'd be hard if we, we could potentially see more inflation issues. But I think this real slowdown in housing is also allowing the government to cut um, and also allowing APRA to step in, um, in you know, when rate cuts come to stimulate housing demand again. It looks that way. I think... Um Yes, if you look at uh, sort of auction clearance rates in the last two or three weeks, definitely easing off. Uh, I think we've we had about three thousand auctions over the past week, uh, according to CoreLogic, and the clearance rates are dipping away, especially in Melbourne and to some extent Sydney. I think. I mean, I think you've touched on this before. That, I mean, that's not unusual for this time of year. We get a lot of people listing their properties at auction. 
uh, in that sort of spring, summer, early summer period uh, to get more supply come on and the buyers get dispersed. I think actually CoreLogic said that Melbourne prices were down, which caught a few headlines in November. But I mean, when I say down, that's 0.1%, right? So it's not really material, but it does sort of point to a general at least slow down in the momentum. I, I think, though, um, if you look at some of the other providers, PropTrack had prices basically back at record highs. There was still pr- uh, rapid price growth in Perth. Adelaide still rising. Brisbane still rising. Uh, Domain had for a third consecutive month rental vacancy rates at an all-time low. So, yeah, I think um, certainly some of the heats come out, I think. The, the, the financing figures for October actually showed a 5% jump in home lending and it's not refinancing anymore this is actual activity in the market this is home buyers coming back mm. some investors getting involved as well although we know some are still selling um so i guess though those october numbers you know they, they wouldn't have been dampened by the latest rate hikes i wouldn't get too excited but it does seem that you know maybe we've seen a rapid rebound in housing prices that's run far ahead of what you might have expected uh probably driven by the record immigration low supply levels but maybe just running out a bit of steam as we run into christmas yeah i do think that's the case i mean i i I sort of could see that borrowing capacity is really stretched i mean there is some intergenerational wealth there but the amount people can borrow is you know very limited and because prices have gone back up their borrowing capacities have actually gone down further you know that even that rate increase um in november reduced their borrowing capacities a little bit more and I don't think their confidence around employment is there like it was in earlier 2023. You know, the return to work, people getting mandated to go back to the office. You know, they are starting to see uh, redundancies. They are starting to see the bonuses aren't there. Hiring isn't as strong. Job adverts, advertisements aren't as, um, you know, prolific as they were in the start of the year. And so I do think that, you know, that desire to really enter the market at all costs. Um, and because prices have gone back up and quality listings aren't there, I just can see that, you know, that's why I think auction clearance rates aren't like they were. That's really the desperation meter for the market in my mind. And when I start to see that drop, I think, oh, you know what, buyers are being a bit more picky here. They're going to wait for more quality assets. Uh, they're not as desperate. In saying that, though, um, you know, buyers are still there. You know, we still have, saw a lot of purchases in November and, um, you know, but I don't think they're just rushing to buy anything at all costs. And I think that's why house lending has gone up because a lot of the pre-approvals um, did want to transact in that last three months in spring. Um, but that, you know, that that the, there's the pressure with borrowing capacities is really there. Um, and I don't think people can just leverage up like they would um, in say 2021, when borrowing capacities were really relaxed, that does make sense as a macro kind of picture. Are you seeing any other interesting uh, trends at the at the coalface there as a mortgage broker? Any sort of trends in borrowing? It does seem from the latest figures that that big rush to refinance is now kind of passing, I suppose, um, which I guess in turn suggests that the fixed rate cliff has more or less run its course. Yeah, we've still got very, uh, I can't even think of many loans in arrears in terms of our whole book, it would be like one or two out of a thousand plus. Um, I do think there's an inequality debate that's really going to uh, get worse in the next few years. Um, Jardin released some research this week, which I was reading, and just the percentage of um, borrowers on the higher income, um, you know, the two to 500, 500 plus has been going up dramatically while the borrowers on lower income has been falling. And so, what it's basically showing is the only people who can transact in this market is if you're on a higher income. Um, and 
uh, generally speaking, they're also the ones who are getting intergenerational wealth. And so I think the people who are getting advantage of this boom and this bounce back are the people in the market um, or people entering the market now, um, and they're the people on the higher incomes. And I think this inequality debate is going to really um, kick off in the next few years because um, people are going to get priced out of the market in terms of they just haven't got enough income to enter. Uh, and this is what uh, Shane Elliott at ANZ sort of been peddling a little bit. And, and I think the reason he's doing that is he wants borrowing capacities to get relaxed. Um, and that means that he can <laughs> lend more money basically. Um, and so he's basically saying home loans are for the rich, properties for the rich, and that type of rhetoric story Um is because the stats are proving that unless you're on higher incomes, you're not entering the market. And um, I think that's the key thing that's happening at the moment if we look at our borrowers. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's definitely going to be a push next year, I think, for a relaxation of that three percentage point lending buffer. There'll be a lot of uh, people, the HIA, Housing Industry Association, is already talking about interest rates being too high and it's killing the construction sector into a recession for next year. Um, so the push will be on next year. I guess um, uh, the more we get some sort of downward pressure on inflation, the more uh, hold that narrative may take. So just to recap on the three main news stories this week. So firstly, rezoning changes afoot in New South Wales. So uh, the economists have got their desire um, and that is uh, big changes proposed for uh, zoning in New South Wales, particularly around train stations and uh, close to some of those key amenities. So we'll see whether that has an impact on approvals uh, at the moment anyway. Uh, approvals for attached dwellings are very, very soft, way, way down on where they were in the previous cycle. So I guess uh, that may uh, prove to help over the next few years. Uh, secondly, the global inflation pulse starting to fade. Um, big shift in markets um, over the uh, the past a month or so, I think uh, you can start to see this in things like gold and Bitcoin and stock markets. People are anticipating those interest rate cuts for next year ahead of time because markets tend to to look forward. And thirdly, the housing market just limping into Christmas. I think a bit of buyer fatigue setting in, a lot of supply uh, still to be absorbed from the auctions, but not so much new supply coming on. So uh, that, I think that's about it for this week. Um, so, Chris, uh, I saw another humongous win for Liverpool this week. Sensational goal from McAllister, if you're following the Premier League, as I know you are. My my top tip for this week is um, if you do uh, get the opportunity to record some videos of your daughter learning to swim, get yourself a Flickr account or somewhere to store it because you'll love looking back on that in a few <laughs> years' time. Just uh, So the benefits of my grey hairs there, it's definitely something you look back on and treasure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were meant to go camping this weekend up in uh, Glenworth Valley. It's uh, just north of Sydney. You know, you go quad biking and horse riding and lots of activities, but uh, it's going to be 38 degrees on uh, <laughs> Friday and Saturday, and I don't think I want to be in a $300 tent um, <laughs> in 38 degrees. So we're actually going down the rural Ostermere Way um, with a oh, group nice of friends. Yeah, that's yeah, probably which, a bit more hospitable. Last time we went camping was in the the Blue <laughs> Mountains or camper vanning, and it was uh, it was a lot colder than thirty eight. I can tell you that much. So uh, yeah. do uh, as always, send us in your questions. Uh, we always uh, like to cover uh, whatever you uh, send in because we like to cover what's topical and what you're interested to hear about. We do do Q and A podcasts every so often as well. Uh, you can catch me at Pete Wardgen Blogspot or at Pete Wardgen 
on Twitter. Uh, that's my daily blog you can catch me on. And Chris, uh, people can track you down at Blusk as usual, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Check down in the show notes. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people have come through and spoke to the team now. And um, we're working all the way up to Christmas. We're having a couple of weeks off in that Christmas break. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to get in contact, even though it's getting late in the year. We've still got heaps of capacity to um, talk to people. So, yeah, reach out and uh, we look forward to chatting. Have a great Sunday, everybody. And um, stay well, Pete. And I look forward to chatting next week. Cheers, Grace. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.